Thank you guys for coming. Uh, we started a series called This Messy Life last week, and uh, we started off by talking about how it's interesting how when you grow up, um, life is kind of easy. You're playing outside, there's not a care in the world, and uh, somehow you grow up and you realize that this life isn't so clean after all. In fact, um, after you start to realize that, you're, you realize there's problems in the world, and you realize that when you watch the news, it's hard to kind of take in what's, what you're seeing and what you're feeling. And then you realize as you grow just a little older that the problems just aren't on the news. They're still in the mirror, too. You realize that there's some stuff that I haven't worked out quite on my own yet, whether it's our beliefs or our relationships or just our goals in life and things like that. This life is messy. So last week, we talked about how... Faith is messy. We talked about a guy in the New Testament named Saul who came to Jesus who had been persecuting Jesus' followers. And you would think that a God who is, um, you know, all loving but also uh, just, right? He, he's all about just justice, uh, would not let someone who'd been persecuting Christians become a Christian. But, but that's a little bit of what we read here in Scripture is that all throughout Scripture, God is showing grace to people who don't deserve it, and it's messy, and it's not quite uh, clean, and, and, and if you grew up in church like I did, maybe you were used to kind of this clean picture of church where you do dress up, and you do kind of act like you've got it all together, and, and you would never show throughout the week that you've, you don't have it all together, but, but when you're alone in a room, and you're kind of like, what in the world is happening? I don't feel like I have a grasp on my life at all. There's this kind of like this tension that we feel, and so what we want to talk about is 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 we want to go ahead and talk about how we're all just a little messed up and that that life isn't super clean. Today, we're talking about marriage. And and what's interesting about this topic is, what I love about this topic is that if you've been married longer than a week, you realize that no one's got it together on this one. Um, If you've been married longer than a week, and by if you've been married longer than a week, how I came up with that week is that's kind of like the... The, the average time that someone would spend maybe on a honeymoon. Like, maybe you could make it through your honeymoon. I think some of us probably couldn't even make it through our honeymoon without, like, going at it. Like, you're in paradise. Maybe you're in Hawaii. You're in Florida. You're some, like, special, and, like, and you can't figure out how to, like, get along, you know? Uh, this marriage sometimes can be tough. It can, it, can, uh, it can be tough for the best of us. We've seen um, the best of some of our leaders, uh, make mistakes. We've seen uh, political leaders make mistakes. We've seen uh, friends make mistakes. We've seen pastors make gigantic mistakes. And you realize not everybody has it together. And sometimes the picture that we put up on Instagram with our highlight reel of our life uh, doesn't necessarily match up to what's actually happening around the dinner table or in the bedroom or something like that. And so, um, so there's all kinds of things that could be going wrong, um, but I, I wanted to start off with a, an illustration. Um, there's, a, there's a soccer player uh, from Ghana. His name is Mohamed Anas, and um, he, he won uh, this, this uh, award. It's kind of like MVP, the man of the match. It was a little while ago um, this year, and uh, I think he plays for South Africa, and he, uh, he has this, um, this interviewer what rush up to him after, and, you know, it's always a little unfair because you've got the adrenaline pumping, and you've just run off the field, and then players say things that necessarily they don't mean or maybe they wouldn't have planned to say. And, um, well, I'll just go ahead and show you the clip. This is the clip of Muhammad after the game. Down here and making sure you walk away with something is a good achievement for looking at the balance of play. I'm sure you could have won that game tonight. Uh, thank you very much, and I thank Almighty God who's above. I always wish to win one of these, and and, and I got it. So 
thank you very much for, for, for this, for giving me this. And I appreciate my friends also. My wife and my girlfriend, yeah, I mean my wife, yeah, sorry to say, I'm so, I'm so sorry, my wife. Okay, if you didn't hear because of his accent, and maybe turn the volume up just a little bit so we can hear very clearly, can you roll that back real quick, Paul? What did he say? And I appreciate my friends also. My wife and my girlfriend, yeah, I mean my wife, yeah, sorry to say, I'm so... I'm so sorry, my, my wife and my girlfriend. Yeah, I mean, my wife. Yeah, sorry to say. I thank my wife and my girlfriend. Uh, I mean, I just said that on national television, that I have a wife and a girlfriend. Cold night in that house, right? Like, if he's not sleeping outside the house, like, couch at best. I want to thank my wife and my girlfriend. Um, that guy happened to make his mistake on TV. Some of us have the uh, privilege of making ours in the privacy of our own homes, and uh, you know, and we don't end up in a church service somewhere in Dublin, Ohio. Uh, but <laughs> it's interesting. I love this. Um, in fact, I, 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 I've, I don't know. There's so much material on marriage. I, I read a poem this week, and we could put this on the screen. Um, this may be good marriage advice for us to keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup. When you're wrong, whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. <laughs> like good marriage advice. Some of you should be like taking your phones out and be like, yeah, I need to remember that one right there. Uh, I, I have a, a church planner friend named Ben Thompson who's in uh, is in Columbus, and uh, we love them. His church called C3 Church. They poured into our church in various ways, and and um, he, a couple weeks ago, asked uh, his Facebook friends uh, to, to share the best marriage advice they had ever been given. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. So I, I, I thought about posting, but I really got so caught up in seeing all the different, and I thought I would share some of them with you, if that's all right, before we get into the message. Um, here, here's, a, here's a couple of some of my favorites. Uh, remember, you're not mind readers. Sometimes you need to spell things out. Never go to bed angry with each other. That's one that was given to me, and I, I, I remember very clearly. Um, don't go uh, to your parents or in-laws with complaints about your sp spouse. Number four, don't do it. It's a trick. <laughs> like, don't do marriage. It's a trick. That was someone's advice. Uh, number five, have regular date nights. Uh, number six, don't put, don't put your kids before your spouse. Uh, seven, never use the word divorce with respect to your relationship. Number eight, fight naked. I got to tell you, um, my wife posted that one. <laughs> and, and, and I know what you're thinking. Like, should a pastor really be sharing that? It gets better. She shared that not because we do that, although, I mean, you know, like, I wouldn't mind it if we did. Um, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Too much information, Mark. She got that advice from her best friend's grandma. Best friend's grandma. Number nine, there are two winners and two losers in a marriage. There are only two options, two winners or two losers, excuse me. Ten, never talk down about your spouse to others. Eleven, holding a grudge is like a poison that will eat away at a happy relationship. Twelve, happy wife, happy life, and all the women said, amen. Don't make decisions on an empty stomach. Amen, I've been there before. Uh, it's my job to love and respect my spouse. It's God's job to make him good. And you know that's a woman, right? Like, that's like, a, like I, I give up. I give up. Uh, God, you got this one. Believe your spouse has the best intentions. Uh, 16, choose your words wisely. They cannot be taken back. Learn to be proactive instead of reactive. Unconditional, I like this one. Unconditional love doesn't wait for the correct response. It produces it. When she's tired, put her to bed. Uh, and number 20, persist. I like that. 
I like that. I, I, I just, uh, I got sucked into that whole thread, and I, I just thought I would share that. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 3 through 8 in just a moment, uh, but I wanted to give you guys kind of an intro into what we're talking about. We are talking about marriage. We're talking about how messy it is. We're talking about how messy uh, life is in general, um, but we're not talking about this um, because because marriage happens to just like some of us, ha- I'm sorry, divorce happens to just some of us, or unhappy marriages happen to just some of us. And, and unhappy marriages and divorce doesn't happen because bad times come. This is what I was, I was, I was thinking about this, and I've, as I've talked to people and as I've have, had friends walk out on marriages that just blew my mind that they would do that, it's not because um, they encountered hard times, right? Because every marriage encounters hard times. Um, it's because they didn't have a, a plan, maybe. It's because they weren't uh, uh, thinking unselfishly or unconditionally, maybe. And listen, I don't mean, uh, th- can I just write like a quick disclaimer on this sermon? Um, I don't expect uh, 34-year-old me to clear everything up. I mean, it's called this messy life for a reason. It's because sometimes uh, we, we, we just can't quite comprehend what happens, uh, maybe to some of those who are closest to us, maybe to some of those who are in our own family when we, when we walk through some of these things. But I will say this. Um, I don't want a mediocre, like, passing grade marriage. And I don't think anyone does. I don't think anyone is, like, shooting for that. Like, yeah, I just kind of want to, I don't want an F, right, on my report card, but I'll take a D plus. Like, I, I don't think anyone wants that. Because I don't think anyone, when, they, when they're on the, the altar, right, on their wedding day, and it's, it's special and, and all that kind of stuff, I don't know that any of us are thinking, like, this is going to be just a level above torture for the rest of my life, and I can handle that. We don't shoot for that. Um, but somehow through the, the different avenues life takes us on, we end up there so many times. Uh, the best of us, right? Um, and so what I want to do is look at a passage of Scripture that's going to talk explicitly about how we should treat other people. And I would suggest more so our spouse. Okay? So Philippians chapter 2, Paul is going to write, and he's going to write this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count each other more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. In the last verse, verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let me pray for us as we continue. God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for for your example that is shown so clearly to us in Scripture. Um, Your example that points us not just to how uh, we need to react in life and respond and act in life, but, but how we need to respond in marriage and every other situation. So God, I just, I'm asking you to breathe your scripture into our hearts. I pray that you would help us understand it. I pray that you would help us to comprehend in such a way that we would not just leave with some information, but we would change with some some new um, disciplines. We would leave changed people, that we would leave with a healthier outlook on marriage. Um, we love you so much, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Um, the first verse, verse 3, it's interesting. It says, do nothing um, from selfish ambition or conceit. 
Um, and, and if we just stop there, we could probably say, all right, let's work on that for a year, and we'll come back, and we'll do the next part of the verse next year. Like, we, we all need a little, little help. Um, but interestingly enough, what that verse is speaking about, if you are looking in the original language, that, that selfish ambition um, has the, the, the picture of competitiveness in it, as if you were playing a sport. Um, and any of us competitive... Right, you can't play card games at home because, like, you end up fighting and, and stuff like that. It's like, oh, it's so fun. All of a sudden, it's not fun anymore because we both want to win so much. And so this plays out in all sorts of ways in marriage. It plays out when uh, your spouse doesn't do what you want them to do, how you want them to do it. It, 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 it shows up when, when maybe you, you, like, do we have any, like, just correctors in the room? Like, this is a safe place, right? Like, I will correct you if something is wrong. Like, you're driving too fast. You didn't load the dishwasher right. Like, we need to, like, we need a vacuum. And, and how come we didn't do this? And, and how come did you, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, the list goes on and on and on. And uh, there's a point at which married couples, um, in my experience, okay, so 10 years marriage experience, I know, I know there's more in the room, but um, I know that sometimes you can slip into this mode where you're just like, I just want to be right. <laughs> I just want to be right. And I just want everyone to know that I'm right, and I want everyone else to know that they're wrong, right? Anyone else been there? Is it just me? Just me, okay, Emmy's there, yeah, right, rock on. Uh, so, like, the deal is that sometimes we struggle because we slip into this mode that's, like, not focused on loving uh, your spouse. It's not ser- it's focused on serving your spouse. It's just focused on how you can kind of one-up the situation. And in this verse, it would say selfish ambition or vain conceit, and it would talk a little bit about this competitiveness. Now, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to, in humility, count others as more significant than ourselves. Maybe the toughest thing to do in our day and age, right? This literally carries the value if you are looking around at humanity. You are on this, like, lower level and everyone else is on a pedestal. And we do not live in that world, right? Like, our moms don't teach us that, right? You're special. Don't forget you're special. Like, you're the best. You're my favorite. Like, and mom should say that. Like, I'm not knocking that. But I'm saying we, we grow up and we kind of end up with this idea that we're trying to, I'm trying to get mine and I'm trying to get ahead and I'm trying to be the top. And I'm, listen, all that's great in your job. <laughs> all that's great if you're trying to be like a great human being. But when it comes to marriage, when it comes to just real relationships, sometimes maybe it would help if we just looked at other people as people that God called us to serve. Because the truth is that Paul's going to say it here. In humility, count others more. It doesn't, maybe if you think about it, maybe just every, once a week, at least once a week, right? Like at least once a week, go to church. At least give 10% of your, blah, 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 blah. No, just always <laughs> in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. I find this so interesting because it's hard for me. But here's the deal. The Christians in the room, you understand this next verse, verse 5. This is why this is so important to Christians. Because it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, I say that, Christians, what, what you understand, if you've, if you've uh, submitted your life to Jesus, if you believe that maybe the Holy Spirit is, is living inside of you, that you read the Word and all this kind of stuff, you see that you have an identity in Jesus, and it's going to say, have this mind among yourselves. It's also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, God exemplified this for us perfectly. 
because he had everything he needed. God doesn't need us. God created us out of his own joy to have a relationship with us. He created us in his image. All that's great. We, we are not kings, right, among, among the audience of God, right? God created us, right, has relationship with us and all of that. But the thing is, is that God stooped down out of his own will. And what's interesting maybe the most to me is as I read scripture from Genesis to Revelation, I see countless pictures of patience. So many people read through the Bible and they see like, oh, I don't know, it seems like a really violent God. It seems like a really wrathful, rage-filled God. And here's what I would say. Genesis to Revelation, if you read the whole story, I mean, I know we like to kind of pick things out and kind of buffet on just a couple verses. The whole story, we see a picture of God creating us, right? And then when we broke that relationship, he put in place a plan to send his son to be the the payment for that sin so that he could have relationship with us again, so that he could give us what is called life in Christ again, so that we could have this perfect union with him again. And the story, right, for me, is, is exemplified in this one verse in Isaiah 53. It's not going to be on the, the screen. Isaiah 53, I think it's verse 7. It says, like a lamb before its shearers, he opened not his mouth. Meaning, when it was time for Jesus, the Son of God, after he'd lived about 33 years on this earth, about three years of ministry, publicly telling people about the Son of God, that he was the Son of God, that, that, that he, he was making a way for them to be in right relationship with the Father again. After all of that, he had all the opportunity in the world to climb down off the cross and say, no, I don't need to do this. Right? He could have canceled it all. Like, Think of all the things that a mighty, all-powerful God could have done. But he did the most humble, self-sacrificing thing on this planet. And what Paul's saying here is, Jesus did it. That's your example. In all the ways that Jesus exemplified surrender, do that in your marriage. That's tough, right? Because we don't like to be walked on. This isn't a picture of being walked on. This is a picture of service, right? This is a picture of I have my identity from Jesus as, like, I'm taken care of, I'm blessed, I have everything that I need in Jesus, and I'm going to serve my spouse out of an, out of an overflow of that. Um, interestingly enough, I, I, I just, I think that as, as you see this whole passage go on, it's going to say um, in verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, when I see that, I think there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot that I can handle because of Jesus' example for me. If he's calling me to suffer, right? And what is my suffering? That's a little hot in here. I don't know, I'm suffering for Jesus, right? If I, he's calling me to suffer, like, uh, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't quite have as, as nice a car as I want. I, I don't know. I, I can't, you know like we, we tend to look at suffering as like this weak 21st century American version. And what Jesus is saying is like, I know about suffering. And what Jesus is saying to a lot of people, he's like, oh, your marriage is hard. Like, uh, I know what it's like to have the people that you love the most spit in your face and to still purchase their salvation. I know a little bit about that. I think that's why prayer is so good for me personally because in prayer, when I spend time with, in communion and in conversation with God, what he says is just like, I'm, I'm with you and I can help you and we can do anything together, you and me, like with my power, but when you try to do it in your own power, when you try to do marriage in your own power, you kind of drift off to 
bickering in your marriage and, and not serving your spouse and, and all that kind of stuff again. So when I, when I um, look at all of this, I, I bring it down to one single point. And I, and I want you to know when I put this on the screen, I, I did a little bit of battle for this point because I have some struggles with it. And I'll tell you, I'll let you read it, and then I'll, I'll tell you kind of what I struggle with this statement. A marriage that can stand the test of time is built on the kind of sacrificial love that Jesus exemplified. A marriage that can stand the test of time is built on the kind of sacrificial love that Jesus exemplified. Let me tell you why I struggle with that. If I can just be real. Um, my original statement on that slide was, uh, a marriage that can stand the test of time is one that's built on the love of Jesus Christ. And enter the conversation of if you're not a Christian, and by the way, if you're not a Christian here, we, we hope that you feel comfortable, and this is kind of like maybe you peering into some one of our conversations. Um, one of the things that's said in Christian circles is that you can't, and listen, I haven't nailed this one down. Messy life, right? I haven't nailed this one down. You can't truly love unless you're a Christian. I've heard this in, in Christian circles. I don't know where I land on that. And let me tell you something. When I wrote this statement, not this statement, but the one that I deleted and replaced this one with, uh, a marriage that can stand the test of time is built on the sacrificial love of Jesus. Here's my problem with that statement. I'm just kind of going on a limb here. Um, I have friends that are, quote-unquote, deeply devoted to Jesus that have walked out on wives and children. Um, I know pastors and you know pastors. Because they end up on the news. Um, and listen, I, I, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, and I'm certainly not going to name names. But there are pastors that, that we end up seeing that the whole thing was a sham the whole time. And so here's what I want to say. I do believe that a love that, uh, a marriage that can stand the test of time is built on, on the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Like, I believe that. But I also see that sometimes we're faking it, right? Can we just be real? Sometimes people are faking it. And then here's the really crazy thing, right? So, if, so those of you that are Christians, like you, maybe you have Christian friends that, that don't know how to do marriage, and then you have non-Christian friends that are like the best married couple ever. And you're like, what do we do with that? They don't even have the love of Jesus in their heart. So, so I don't know what to do with that statement. Here's what I know. Christian or not. A marriage that can stand the test of time is built on the kind of sacrificial love that Jesus exemplified. And Jesus showed us exactly how to do that when he not only died on a cross, but remember, like, he existed as God. Like, he left heaven and came down to earth and lived this earth. Like, this is the closest we know that heaven is. Like, outside of what we read, read in Scripture, we don't have actually any clue how good it is up there. I imagine it's, like, beyond our comprehension, right? Bigger than our imagination good, right? So we have no exa idea exactly how far he came down. And then he comes down on this earth, and he's like, oh, these are the tacos that you guys serve? We're like, yeah, like, they're the best. He's like, just wait. <laughs> you know, like, this is the life that you live? This is, the, this is what you call good? And what he's saying in all of this is like, man, I did this because I love you. And, I, and I, what I love about it is, is Jesus, it's not like he's saying, hey, hey, shut up. I'm doing this because I love you, you know, like, He's just constantly sacrificing over and over and over again as the perfect, 
perfect son of God, and he's showing us exactly how much he loves us. Um, I think about all the times that Jesus could have done something different. He could have, um, he could have been frustrated with his disciples. He could have done all sorts of things. So we have to um, embrace this. If I had to sum all this up in one word, I would call it surrender, to embrace surrender. And when I think about surrender, um, I, 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 <clears throat> I was reminded of this quote uh, from a book. A guy named Paul Tripp wrote a book called What Did You Expect, which I just thought is the great ti- greatest title ever for a, a marriage book. What did you expect? <laughs> Every morning's awesome, right? There's never a bad day in marriage. What did you expect? And he's going to say this. This side of heaven, good marriages are good because the people in those marriages are committed to doing the things that keep their marriages good. Things go wrong when couples think they have reached the point when they can retire from their marital work and chill out, lie back, and slide. Um, Somehow... We go from a completely, like, I'm all the way bought in. I love my wife. I love my husband. I'll do anything for him to, like, the baby's crying. I'm just going to lay here as still as I can, and she's going to think I'm asleep because I got a job in the morning, right? We get to that point where we're, like, we're not so service-oriented anymore, right? Um, We're, like, I don't know. I've done the laundry the last five times. I'm good, right? The last 50 times, last 500 times. I've done the dishes over and over and over again and blah, blah, blah. And you start to see these kind of little things and they weasel their way into the cracks and the crevices of our lives and our soul. And we start to say, you know what? No, today's about me. And I just wonder what would have happened if Jesus would have said that. Today's about me. Now today, I'm not going to Golgotha. I'm not climbing up on that cross. I've spent three years with these people. These disciples are morons. They still don't get it. You guys don't understand. Like Peter, he's cutting people's ears off. He's, he's cussing people out. Like he's denying me to these seven-year-old little girls. Like they obviously don't get it. Today's about me. And this is where, listen, this is where my weakness goes on display all the way because that's me every day if I don't like surrender to Jesus in the morning. It's me every day, right? It's me every moment. It's when I get home. It's like, do I, do I prepare for dinner? Do I do dishes? Do I play with the kids? Or like, man, sports center's on, and I could just like sit and watch, right? Or it's like, man, I know that there, it's been a hard season, and I know that I've been going the extra mile, but I'm going to go like a couple extra miles at least just today. Just today I'm going to make the decision to live like Jesus did, to embrace the kind of surrender did, that, that Jesus did. When I think of surrender, I think of this white flag uh, that we, we all know of. When we, when we see images of this, we see this image of surrender. Um, the white flag, soldiers have been using um, these white flags to signify capitulation for years. Um, they, they've, they've been known to bring out white wool and olive branches out, out onto the war field. And I love this last statement that I wrote down that I, I looked up this week. A white flag's signifies to all that an approaching negotiator is unarmed with an intent to surrender and a desire to communicate. And I was like, oh, it's almost exactly like marriage, (laughs) right? Like sometimes you're just like, I could say something, but I don't have to. I could act a certain way. Not necessary. Like I could do all kinds of things to, to validate my own 
whatever, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is we struggle with. But, but I'll wave the white flag. Why? Yeah, because Jesus loved me. Surely, surely I can surrender in my own ability to be right or powerful or to own something, to, to, to be the one at the top. No, no, no. Philippians 2, I'm going to see everyone else as more valuable. I'm going to see my spouse as up on a pedestal. And that is the picture that we see. And what I love about this, the band can go ahead and come on up as I close. What I love about this is that marriage is um, and has always been a picture of our relationship with Jesus. And it's not just a picture of our relationship with Jesus. It's a picture of how much God loves us. It's a picture of how much Jesus sacrificed for us. Jesus wants that kind of relationship for us. He wants us to see our relationship with God as, as the per- supreme relationship, the one that we pour everything into, right? And out of that relationship, our relationship with our spouse flows, our relationship with our kids flows, our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, all this kinds of stuff. But out of all that, because Jesus is good, because Jesus is everything that we need, because, by the way, we, we get everything that we need from Jesus, right? If we're looking for something that our spouse can provide to make us whole, listen, there's not enough rom-coms in the world with, like, sweet little Matthew McConaughey statements to, to prove, to outprove what the Scripture has already said, like, I'm not completed by a human being, um, but I can serve my spouse, right? I'm not, I don't find my identity in my marriage. I don't find my identity in how much my spouse loves me or does anything. I find my identity because I'm a son, I'm a daughter of the king. And because of that, I serve, right? Out of the overflow of that, I serve. So I know <laughs> some of you are in here like you didn't solve any of my marriage problems, right? Or maybe you're like, man, I'm single and I totally don't know exactly what marriage is going to look like. I don't even know why I'm here. Perfect, because you can get a head start. Some of us are like, I wish I knew this just like last week. If I could just hit the rewind button last week and just read the scripture and then have a different conversation, right? Um, I know that necessar- this doesn't necessarily solve all our problems, but I guarantee that if we, if we were just to take that verse, just this one verse, Philippians 2, um, well, this one passage, 3 through 8, and we apply that into our lives, I, I guarantee you see a change with your relationships. Why? Because it's like a five-step to success in your marriage? No. It's because it's the way God planned everything. It's, it's, it's the words in Scripture that have so much power for us today. And if you're a person today that you're like, man, I hear you keep talking about, like, this marriage shows us a picture of our relationship with God, and I, I don't know, my marriage isn't so awesome, so I don't know if I want a relationship with God. Let me clear it up for you. God loves us so much, right, that he sacrifices perfectly for us. And so if you are not uh, a Christian, let me just go ahead and invite you. Like a relationship with God is the, is, the, is the top. It's the priority. It's the only thing that we want you to leave with in this world. Like this is, this is what church is all about, to, to know Jesus and to be known, right, by Jesus. Because, yes, the world was created, and yes, we chose sin, but, yes, he sent his son to pay the price for us on the cross. And so we celebrate it, yes, two weeks ago on Easter, but we celebrate it every day of our lives because it's good news to us that we don't have to earn our way to heaven and we don't have to earn our way into a good life or anything like that but Jesus has already done the work for us if you have never accepted that surrender 
on your own, if you've never accepted, uh, received salvation from Jesus, in just a moment, we would love to invite you to do that. We'll have a prayer team in the back in just a moment. Um, there's going to be a song, and then we'll dismiss in just a moment. Um, but this is your time. So if, if you are like, man, i got to know more about this relationship with Jesus because um, I want I want to know more. Maybe I'm not ready to take the just all the steps, but maybe just one step. I just have a question. We'd love to talk to you in the back. All right? Why don't you guys stand? We're going to sing this song, and we're going to wrap up.